Thanks for listening to show 12 of the C-Suite podcast series. I'm Russell Goldsmith, and this week we're discussing the increasing influence of social talent in the comms world. And my guests today cover all the key stakeholders involved, including the end client, the agency, the talent management, and of course, the talent themselves. First up, I have my fellow CIPR social media panel colleague, Don Birch, who is a senior director for marketing innovation and new revenue at Walmart in the UK, or as most of us know, the store Asda. Don was responsible for setting up Asda's Mum's Eye View YouTube channel, which uh, features plenty of the now famous YouTubers, so more on that shortly. Joining him is James Erskine from content marketing agency The Big Shot. Uh, We have another James uh, in the studio, so that's not going to get confusing at all. James Hancock, who is talent manager at AAA Media. And finally, I'm really thrilled to welcome Hannah Whitten, who has her own YouTube channel. So it's um, quite cosy here in the studio with five of us. Hannah, let's start with you, given you're the uh, the real talent here. Quick, simple question. What got you started as a YouTuber and how did you end up being being managed by the I've got to say this those wonderful people at AAA given that uh, James is sat next to you there yeah. well I started about um four years ago and it was purely out of boredom really I saw a lot of other people making videos and vlogging and I just thought that it looked really fun and I wanted to be a part of that and my whole way through university I did it as a hobby on the side and I graduated I graduated a year ago and I've been doing it as a job since then and um AAA actually got in touch with me they found me Oh, okay. So you mentioned a lot of other people doing it there. I mean, what, I'm, I'm guessing one of the difficult things in this space is to differentiate yourself from other other uh, YouTubers. Your channel is very much about sex relationships. Do, do you found? Do you think you found a, quite a niche there for for your audience? Um, I think it definitely is a niche. I know maybe only just a handful of other people on YouTube who talk about um, sex and relationships in that much detail. Um, so it does work in my favor in the sense that I've got a niche and there's not many people doing what I do um but then also you don't want to box yourself in because I do a lot of other stuff on my channel too okay you mentioned in that much detail I've got to come pick you up on on a point on that in a little while in terms of just in terms of like like the content but I'm guessing given the topic that that's why Jurex uh approached you or, or did I don't know if, if you approached them James maybe this is where we we bring you in but they you've obviously worked recently with them on on your channel yeah so it- it's interesting where kind of brands meet talent and the ways that it, it can come about. So obviously you have the kind of the emergence of multi-channel networks, which manage a lot of the the talents, um, YouTube content, and they are constantly in, in touch with brands. But it's also PR agencies and also the brands themselves get in touch. So there's kind of multiple ways, uh, and this this one came through uh, an MCN as they're called. Okay. Um- do you want to talk us through how it, how that campaign sort of uh, evolved? Because yeah. I know, I, know it, I read about it that you very much had the editorial control on it. Yeah, so um, that Jurex campaign came through the multi-channel network Channel Flip. Um, and so they basically, Jurex went to Channel Flip and said, we want to do this campaign. Do you know anyone that would be good? And um, I've done stuff with Channel Flip in the past. And so they suggested me and... They showed Jurex my stuff, and Jurex was like, yes, we like her. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and then we set up a meeting, and it was one of the best meetings I've ever been to, really. It was just, like, all of us um, around a table with condoms and sex toys, like, everywhere. <laughs> and they were like, do you want to test all the products? I was like, yes, mm, have, let's have a look at that. Um, so that was a fun meeting. <laughs> but, it, um, but in terms of the video, I mean, I've, the, the video, I think, is excellent. But did, yeah. did they get to sign that off, or was that very much, this is what I'm putting out on my channel? Um, and there's there's definitely a process so um they have to say what the different key points are that i need to hit in that video because once i've filmed it um that's it i can't 
um, film it again. It's just in the edit where Jurex have some control. So I, um, we had a general idea of what I was going to say and the general points that I would make. I film it and edit it, send it over to them as a first draft, and then there's usually a week-long back and forth of like little bits that might need to get cut out because of legal reasons and stuff, and then it goes up. Okay. Um, let's bring the other James into the chat here. You've worked with a number uh, of brands at the Big Shot in, in this space, James. If, if someone is new to this type of partnership, and, and let's face it, there's plenty of comms people that um, you know trying to get their head around it, where, where do they even start? Well, it sounds really, really simple, this, but maybe by watching some of the stuff, because you'd be amazed by the amount of brands and the amount of marketing managers that don't. And then, and not to slag anybody off in particular, because that would be unprofessional, but then the kind of thought of, here's a script which I want these people to say. It's not my quote this, it's somebody else's, somebody far more famous. This is a Jim Chapman quote, no less, at a recent drum conference. And he said, we're not actors. This is not how you're going to get the best out of us. So first thing is watch it. I mean, we've worked with brands as diverse as Nickelodeon, Chupper Chups, HarperCollins, Penguin Random House, Audible, lots of the Audible videos are our fault, sorry. But um, so we've, we've kind of worked with so many different brands in this space. But also the other thing I'd say is get to know what their target audiences are watching. So there are niches. It's not all makeup and beauty. There's shed loads of makeup and beauty, but it's not all there. We work really successfully with booktubers for HarperCollins and Penguin Random House. And we work really well with a, a, a vlogging collective called Car Throttle, that are kind of top gear, but a bit younger. And they're amazing. And yeah. So that would be the two things, understand the audience and understand the niches, I suppose. OK, well, time to bring a brand in. Uh, Dom, let's get you involved at this point. Um, and it's actually because of you launching uh, As Does Mum's Eye View that we first talked about doing an episode on this about a year ago, so it's taken that long to uh, <laughs> to get you in the studio. Um, but uh, that channel, I was having a look uh, yesterday, it's now got over 168,000 subscribers, 8 million plus views. Um, I know you argue that Asda was already a media owner because you've got in-store radio, you've got a magazine, you've got a website. Um, could you give a bit of background on why you chose the strategy of working with a whole host of YouTubers on your channel? I was just trying to work out where it began because you know you sort of forget, don't you? But um, we we started off actually. We were approached by Sorted Food, who are kind of I guess the YouTube equivalent of Jamie Oliver, but better. And they were beginning to reach out to all the supermarkets and saying, "Look, we have something to offer, and you know you ought to." have a conversation with us kind of got passed around a little bit we met them saw eye to eye and kind of started to talk about what could that look like how could they create content that was relevant to what we care about food mentally we're not a top-end food retailer so we're not going to do the kind of Heston Blumenthal we didn't want to work with a celebrity chef we just wanted to do the kind of you know I've got a load of stuff in my fridge on a Tuesday how do you turn that into something um, and unfortunately that fell apart but as part of that we also got introduced to Gleam when we had a session at YouTube and it was when YouTube were presenting to brands this idea of hub hero hygiene content and if you're Volvo and you've got Jean-Claude Van Damme and you're doing the splits between two lorries on a airway you know on a you know, airstrips somewhere remote. That's very different to have that kind of scale and that brand and the money to put behind that. So we couldn't work out how do you translate this hub hero hygiene content for Asda? We had two thousand subscribers to the Asda channel. Nobody wants to follow a supermarket or subscribe to a channel that is Asda on YouTube. Like why would you do that? We sell baked beans. And so we were sort of desperately trying to work out how to be relevant. And the introduction to Gleam, uh, it started off actually around taking Halloween as an event. 
And we said to those guys, look, you look after all these people. We showed it, Dom, who runs Gleam, showed us a video of Tanya birding a meet-up in um, Covent Garden, going back a couple of years. And they had to close the Apple store yeah. and they had to help Tanya out through her fire exit in a restaurant, right? So it just it kind of, even then for them, it was kind of like it was just exploding their heads. Mm. So at that point, we realised this is big. And I think because we approached it from a PR starting point rather than an advertising or marketing starting point, we got the fact that you have to let go of control. So, you know, everything James said about pick the right person to work with and Hannah just saying, you know, it's like she's in control. It's going to be her content clearly responding to some form of brief. But our ambition at the start was to be the easiest brand to work with. Did you test the concept, though, with like a couple of videos or did you just go headlock, right, we're launching a channel and... We kind of just went for it. So we had we picked Halloween because Halloween's a massive event in supermarkets these days. But for ours in particular, it's like one of those, you know, it's an adult party as much as it is for the kids. And it was, you know, a couple of months away. And we said, look, come up with five ideas and, and we'll have a look at them. One was to take Pixie Woo makeup artists. And they said, we only ever do one Halloween makeup tutorial a year. So we'll do that for you. And we'll do it on our main channel. And they ended up using like a six pound as to Halloween kit. And they did a witch tutorial. And within you know a day or two of that video going live, obviously it had 100,000 or so views. They've got a load of subscribers. But if you then typed Halloween or witch into Google, it was one of the first results that mm. popped up. So it's kind of like it, immediately you could see the power of this thing. The other re- way we worked it was to create a Halloween party, which was just the vehicle that made all of their daily vlog content. So the kind of stuff that they're churning out every single day, which is just what I've done today, where I've been, who I've met. By going to this party as the end event, they had to go and get their Halloween outfit. And it made sense that they were turning up to an Asda to get it. We didn't have to go with them. We didn't have to prescribe which Halloween outfit they picked. And in fact, Tanya Burr customised a shirt and Sprinkler Glitter bought um, like a big uh, spider that you'd put on the house. She put that as a brooch on her shoulder. And then we invited 95 other vloggers to come to this party. And of course, they all wanted to be there because the A-listers were there too. Yeah. And it's just seeing the scale and the impact of that. I think there were 26 million impressions for the hashtag in, you know, 24 hours. And the biggest impression we'd ever had for our different brand had been like 8 million over three months. So it just as a sort of calibration point, it's like, this is huge. And that then led us to Mum's Eye View. But the, the starting point was, let's pick an event and let's just throw the kitchen sink at it. And, you know, we spent tens of thousands of pounds, which for us was a bit of a leap of faith. But the comparison I always used to use when we were doing Facebook was, you know, we'll spend £150,000 a day on press advertising, just having a full round of press, full round of ads in the Sun, Star, Daily Mail. So when you compare it to that and then you're looking at how do I measure the reach, is there a return on investment? Well, the course is on that basis. But approaching it from a PR perspective, it was like PR on steroids because you kind of knew what you were going to get. You were in control in the sense that it wasn't up to a journalist or to a sub-editor to put a slant on it, um, but you weren't in the room. And you, definitely, to James's point, it wasn't scripted, and therefore we were happy to be the payoff at the end of the content rather than front and centre. You know, if you get if you watch this tutorial and think that's a brilliant witch out uh, witch look, I want to do it. The payoff was where do I get the makeup from, and we're we're just the link at the end. Yeah. You, you've got the benefit because you were at there quite early on in at the start of this, and you've already mentioned a couple of the the as you said a listers. Um, you know, and I know you've also worked with the likes of Zoella and and, and the like. But um, you know, as more and more brands want to get to work with talent, 
you know, we talked about how do they get involved and so talent, you know, such as yourself, Anna. Is there a danger that audience are going to get to the point where they think, you know, oh, what are you plugging this week? You know, it was Durex last week. What was it going to be this week? Do you, what, what's your thoughts on that? I think um, the thing with making that balance is that when it comes to vlogging, you have a personal relationship with your audience because usually it's someone on their own on their computer and so it feels like a Skype conversation and because you keep that relationship really authentic and transparent that they don't get mad it's so transparent that you say this has been paid for these guys are sponsoring me Um, and if anything your audience are really supportive because they they can see that making YouTube videos is something that I love doing and then they're equally happy for me that it's something that I get to do as my full-time job. And they're clever enough to know that the way that I do that is through working with brands. Mm. And so when they see me doing that, they're like, yeah, well done, you're doing great. <laughs> and and they see a video of Durex. And with the Durex video, we also did a competition and a giveaway. And there was like a discount code. So my audience can also benefit from me working with brands too. James, on, on the management side of the yeah. talent i mean if you're getting approached by more and more brands how, what, how are you balancing that well it's interesting because for every sponsored video you see that comes out there's probably 10 that haven't worked out and a lot of the time it might be talent or, or us rejecting it because it's not right for that specific person because ultimately our job is it's where do they want to go we're more of a traditional agency so look tv radio so with our guys is if they want to do other things as well we have to be really careful on which brands they're associated with and also the way if it fits in with them so if hannah's doing a video does it look really odd if she's doing something with lego or with mcdonald's and it's matching it up that it's really important and it's not just about going for the quick book i think ultimately i think to that point actually the agents as much as as some people may be cross at this, have been really, really good at saying no, at saying that won't work. And to be fair, the agencies have been pretty good at not, the good ones at least, at not forcing um, brands. I mean, the agents won't let it happen. We're in a beneficial uh, position, I suppose, whereby we speak with some talent direct and some via agents. And actually, agents are incredibly good at saying no to the wrong brands. That said, we've actually had experience of some branded videos that have got more views than the average, because our feeling is the audience, exactly to Hannah's point, they're more interested in finding out which brands are working with that YouTuber or with that mm-hmm. talent to find out how well that brand are doing and how well the YouTuber is doing. So. Okay, stick, sticking with you, James, because this is a very different kind of media partnership to you know what many in the marketing industry w- will be used to. We touched on this earlier about editorial control. Um, how, how do the brands feel about that from, that you're working with? So um, Hannah touched on this about that week-long back and forth with that Durex example, and we, we kind of have a system, and it's about getting those systems and processes in the right place. The way that we position it to brands is you will never, ever, ever have approval, but you will have veto. So that, and that's a really subtle distinction, and that's very much kind of our term as opposed to the agency's term. But what it means is they can take stuff out, to Hannah's point, if it's inaccurate or if it's legally wrong, but you're never going to have approval. You're never going to be able to say, what about something like this? So, on a recent example for Chupa Chups, we came up with some Chupa Chups airheads challenges. And some of those challenges, the talent thought, 
that's rubbish, we're not doing that. But what they did was they came back with something better that was more them for more their audience and actually we liked them more and the end client liked them more. So it's about un- having that and then an accurate briefing document and just agreeing the mandatories beforehand. Sure. Boring things like taking ads off a promoted video, stuff like that. You know. Okay, well, talking of... Uh ads and promotion Dom uh, so thank you for that nice link because uh, on your channel I've noticed you've got the, the hash ad on in each of your titles now yeah, uh, yeah. and I don't think you, you did that at the start did you is, is, how long have you been doing that and what's been probably about of... six months ago so we had um, we had a I don't know if it's called a complaint or a letter anyway from the ASA um, and actually it was querying some content that appeared on one of the vloggers own daily vlog channel where um, we had paid for um, the three of the power couples to do a kind of like come down with me event for Christmas, right? So as part of that, they're filming it quite far out from Christmas because their schedules are hectic. And Jonathan uh, Sacone Jolly was off shopping one on one of the days because he had to go and buy all his ingredients for his bit. And somebody obviously wrote to the essay and said there was no reference that this was paid for advertorial. Well, technically speaking, it wasn't. I didn't see the video. I didn't know he was posting it. Obviously, he's going to tell people what he's doing that day. And one of the things he was doing was shopping for products for Asda. So, of course, it was connected. And we just took a view that, you know, nobody, particularly a brand like Asda, right, you don't want to be the poster child for an area of regulation where the regulators are playing catch-up. So they're trying to work out what this thing is. And actually, the audience, our audience, and I think even the vloggers' audience, to Housebot, they don't care that it's paid for. They just, you know, it's okay, it's paid for. What does it mean? As and long actually, as it's entertaining. Yeah, yeah, I think well, as long as it's good content. Yeah. So you know, our requirement for anything on Mum's Eye View is don't put it on Mum's Eye View if you wouldn't be proud to put it on your own channel. So the first ever video was Pixie Woo, two sisters cooking with Ian, who's Nick from Pixie Woo's husband, right? Happens to be a chef. He's now got his own chef channel on the back of doing a, a video for us ages ago. Uh, and they held up some like Asda tinfoil and said something clunky about how whenever they go shopping, they always buy tinfoil from Asda. And it was like. You would never say that on your own channel. And I think Nick or Sam was just like, oh, we thought that's the kind of thing that brands like. It's like, no, yeah. we don't We don't need it. We don't want it. So we have a kind of belt and braces approach that everything on our channel, because it's called Mum's Eye View, even though it's clearly brought to you by Asda, we just everything's ad on our channel. And wherever the talent are basically um, taking content and linking it to us. So when we rent, because effectively what we do is we rent their audience. Right, so Anna Sacone Jolly's doing a baking series for at the moment. She's like three videos in, and she will effectively take some of her audience when she uploads a video on her channel or their daily vlog channel, and signpost the fact that she's doing a baking video for Mum's Eye View on Sunday, and ten percent of her audience come over and watch it. Um, and clearly, then in that video and in the description, she make it clear that some of the content is paid for advertorial. Yeah. So I don't think the audience mind. Um, and Jonathan was on Twitter recently explaining what hashtag ad means, and he's saying it doesn't mean it's an advert. It means I have a relationship with a brand. And you could just see their audience coming backwards and forwards, going, "That's really interesting. Thanks for explaining it." And we get the fact that that means that you guys get to do this as a profession, you know. And we love the fact that you do it every day. And if you didn't do it every day, They'd go nuts. Yeah. Like they're used, they're on that drug now. They want to see it every single day. What are you up to? Whether you're in the country, out of the country, going shopping, doing something exciting. Is there not. more pressure for you to put more content up then? Not for us, but I think for the YouTubers. I mean, I'd love to do more content. So it comes down for us is just a budget constraint at the moment. Yeah. Hannah, what, what's the expectation from your audience? Are they. That's so chill. Because I, I, I was worried that you were going <laughs> to yeah. come, as I said, you, you were going to come here no. filming this. I thought, oh, no, I don't, don't fancy that. No, my, <laughs> my audience are just so relaxed and. Um, someone tweeted me today, 
just saying, oh, hey, Hannah, where's um, this video that you said that you filmed ages ago? And I just replied to them saying, oh, it's coming soon. So sorry, it's late. And they replied back being like, oh, you don't have to be sorry. Like, don't worry. Like, you're really busy. Don't worry about it. Like, I was like, oh. <laughs> but yeah, so they're really relaxed about it. I upload weekly at least, but I've got a lot of content that kind of needs to come out soon. So I think pretty much September is going to be a two video a week month, but I don't really have rules. Okay. Um, I'm going to come back to Dom. Um talking of your uh, you know in more detail on on uh, mum's eye view i mentioned on on show 10 uh so it's a couple of episodes ago we, when we discussed paid social that there is a video on youtube um naturally uh, called the creators um that follows a group of youtubers behind the scenes of them creating content attending events um but there's a number of supporting videos on there too um it was sort of plugged around by the drum um and and some of the supporting videos talk about how to succeed on YouTube, within which they say not to expect engagement, but to ask for it. It's interesting, Dom, you just talked about, you know, one of the YouTubers saying, you know, I'm going to do this video, you know, for, for Mum's Eye View. Um, this is, I'm guessing, one of the key ways that you ensure a positive uh, ROI, because all the links to all the products are in the video. And you and you always say, see the YouTubers saying, you know, click on the link below. Can you, I don't know how much you're allowed to share. You can share yeah, yeah. about click-through rates and, and, to, yeah. and sort of how you're measuring the, the ROI as well. Right, so whenever anyone says to me, how do you measure the ROI of social media, I remind them we spend £150,000 on press advertising, right? And then that normally levels the conversation because the amount that I'm investing just on reach alone is worth every penny that I pay the YouTube content creators. I have to get over the fact that, for me, that I couldn't earn that in a lot of months probably so i'm over that because if i was buying those views on a pay-per-view basis through pre-roll on youtube i'd easily be spending 10 pence to get a view on youtube right and when i pay for that view the engagement's tiny so even if you just look at the number of thumbs up any paid for video on youtube might have i don't know a million views you might get 68 <coughs> thumbs up our rule of thumb is for every 10 views we expect to see a thumb or every 100 views, you expect to see a thumb. So, like, you know, the, the Mum's Eye View stuff, just looking at that baking series, I think we've had 360,000 views and 23,000 thumbs up and a load of comments because we haven't paid for any of it in the sense of we haven't used media to drive people to the content. Now, there's clearly an opportunity. If I had another X thousand pound kicking around, of course we would. We'd find Asda customers on the web, people who've browsed products that are similar, people who've watched the video, we'd find them and we'd retarget them. We've kind of gone down this sort of organic on um, turbo, if you like, approach to it in the same way that we tried with Facebook. Our entire approach on Facebook was don't advertise the fact you're on Facebook and don't make it special to be a fan on Facebook. It's like attract people who actually love your brand and want to follow you and then you're going to get far more engagement. And that's kind of the route we've taken with Mum's Eye View. Okay, I'm going to put this one to the two... Uh, James's that we have here um, and the question is about wastage um, so I'm keen to know how you're reporting on non-UK views for example if it's a purely UK audience uh, that the client is after and what about fake and inactive followers James from the big shot first so fake and inactive followers is um, a, a job that YouTube do a rather good job of so they're very very strict in terms of what counts as a view they're very very good in terms of understanding that so kind of at risk of sounding slightly laissez-faire that job's done for us and then at the big shot we've um, kind of come up with something of a revelation um, and, and a really really impressive tool to come up with UK views and uh, work that out and we've started asking for it 
That's all the tool is. We've asked the agents, we've asked the talent. As a percentage of the total views, how many of them were in the UK? We can also, you can also get that average in terms of the subscriber base. A rule of thumb, when a YouTuber goes massive, sounds like an ITV show, doesn't it? But when a YouTuber does have a massive audience, kind of 30 to 40% are based in the US. So do watch out for that if you are a brand, but simply ask the question because if it's a commercial partnership, nobody should be shy of telling you. Just to build on that, so we've got a brand who um, work with us on some content. Uh, we've got all the analytics because it's our channel. And yeah, 30 or 40% were in the US. And it was just the most hilarious conversation with this brand because they were like, yeah, yeah, it was 75,000 views in a week, but you know, 30% were over in the US. They were the biggest brand for that category in the US. <laughs> the problem was I was having a conversation with a guy who's only measured on the UK. Yeah. And so like, we don't worry about that bleed. You know, when we first started talking about YouTube, it's kind of third, third, a third, third in the UK, third everywhere else, and a third in the US. But even so, that third in the UK are a group of people that we don't market to. Like, we're not marketing in a... If you're talking in press and radio and TV, we're not really talking to Hannah's generation, right? My kids, nine and six, everything's on demand. They watch YouTube and they watch Netflix. They don't watch mainstream TV. And when they do, they try and fast-forward the adverts. So it's kind of like, we're not worried. This is something... It's a bit like when Facebook first came around. It's going to be here for a while, probably. So invest in it and... You know, care for it, nurture it. So we're trying to nurture what we've got, sympathetic to the people who are actually the stars of the show, and then finding the ways to make ourselves relevant, but not trying to be the star of it. It's like nobody cares about Asda. Get over it. James, is this something that crops up? Yeah, well, again, it's not something that we really worry about too much in terms of wastage. Again, lots of the, the MCNs that we work with, they deal with the technical side of things. But, and again, I suggest for, for most brands wanting to work with YouTubers, the information's there. When brands get in touch with us, it always will start with YouTube numbers, Twitter, Facebook. But then from that, we're more than happy to get into what's, what's your split, male and female, age range. That's, again, it's important for us to, to match up because if their target audience is a lot older than what uh, the YouTubers viewers are it doesn't it's not really connected for us as well and it won't um kind of work out well for the talent i, f I feel like we're talking about sort of hannah and and she's not here and i feel really <laughs> hi <laughs> hello <laughs> right listen i've got a few questions um from our listeners uh that have come in via social media um the first of which uh actually came through on twitter from keith lewis keith is social media manager at zurich uh, insurance and keith has asked how should less obvious brands approach and consider uh, using youtube talent uh, talent sorry dom do you want to take that one uh well yeah maybe that's a better one for hannah i guess um the point is find people that you think have got great talent and great content you know and then either reach out to them through if they have got an agent or an agency they're working with or tweet them or <laughs> leave a comment on there. You know, it's kind of like if you genuinely care about something, the other person will know about it. You know, whenever I talk to a vlogger, they are touched by the reaction they get, right? So if it's genuine and you mean it, it's a bit like when we used to, as PR people, email out bloggers and send them that boring press release, having not read their blog, and then expecting them to write a really in-depth blog about our product. Why would they do that? All they do is rubbish you if it was really bad. In the same way with a journalist. If you didn't know a journalist well, you were never going to get past that crap pitch that you were doing. It's like it's about the relationship. And at that point, I'm going to defer to Hannah because she'll <laughs> probably know better than me. I think, yeah, one is actually watch our videos um, and not just write in an email, hello, 
insert name here. I watched your recent video and insert name of recent video here. Um, but do you get do you get that a lot? Yeah, you can you can <laughs> spot a copy. You should of do a video email. on that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, another thing is approach that vlogger with an idea. So rather than being just like, oh, I'm from this brand and they may have never heard of it, but that doesn't matter if they have a good idea. Like we're working on this campaign or we want to we want to get some YouTubers to produce this type of video, would you be interested? That's kind of where it comes in. So like know the person that you're contacting, know what they do, and then also have an idea, not just, hey, will you mention us? <laughs> no. Okay. We... Uh, Russell, just on that, though, yeah, I think sure. it's really important. Like, So the listeners to this show will be going, I understand PR and I don't understand this new world. This new world is no different from no, the no, skills no. they learned 20 years ago, right? So it's like it is based on a respect for the media, in this case, a person at the end of it, and building out a relationship. And if you really, really understand it and you respect it, then you've got more chance. And if you don't, frankly, they're being inundated. So it's like, why should I waste my time? We've, we've had experiences working on social talent campaigns for HarperCollins, whereby metaphorically they've given the book back if they haven't enjoyed it and we've passed it on to the next YouTuber. And there's nothing wrong with that at mm. all. That's fine, because if you are paying for it, you do want the proper content about a book someone's enjoyed. And there's no shame in people saying, yeah. this one's not for me, let's move on. Similarly, no niche is too small. Similarly, we've worked with Car Throttle again on a on a campaign for 3M's car wrapping product. Me either, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. it I think, can I think, work. I think that's how we first got it, actually. I think um, Gleam showed us an example. I think it was Topshop, where Zoella had just been sent off into Topshop and just spend 100 quid on the things that you like. And then Topshop simply took the products that she chose from that vlog and then featured them on a landing page on Topshop. And guess what? There was probably like a money off if you clicked the link and all the rest of it. But that was like, that's the best way to do it. It's like, you know, we sell 30,000 things. So if we want to do Christmas, of course we want you to talk about a certain few things because they're really important to us. But at the end of the day, walk around the store and buy the things that take your fancy. And then it's authentic, then it's real. And then you'll see their audience go, oh my goodness, I love that three foot garden gnome dressed up as Santa Claus or wherever it is. I want it. I want it now. <laughs> and, and you know, we did a... We did a no, Hannah was just saying she wants one. <laughs> just, I'll get you one, don't worry. Thank We've you. got a whole range this year. Um, <laughs> but we, we did like a, a nail tutorial with a, um, a vlogger called Livable Lashes. And she was featuring... It was just featuring uh, nail varnishes that we sell, like the George Cosmetic range. We don't sell that many of those each day. So even though we didn't have clever, sophisticated tracking, you could see that we sold 250 quid's worth on Tuesday, and within two hours of that video going live, even though it only had like 3,000 views, sales went up by, you know, 100% or whatever it was. Because you don't need that many people to watch it and get in a car and drive to Swansea Asda and buy some for us to notice. And that's just indicative of what's happening. So if it's happening at that low level, you know, the fact that I can't prove people go out and buy more eggs every time Anna does a... Black Forest Gatto or whatever it is, there is clearly that is happening. You're inspiring people to do stuff that they probably wouldn't have done if they hadn't seen that content. Okay. Uh, question number two, just to prove uh, how social we are. This one came in via LinkedIn. Um, and this is from Will Barker, who is Project Support Officer for Social Media and Digital at 1000 Lives Improvement. And uh, Will's question is about social talent mixing with mainstream media and what impact uh, being opened up to more negativity than the security of their fan base is having on the talent and those who manage or work with them. This is quite a long question that you <laughs> In. Um, but basically, you gave the example of the backlash in the mainstream media to the fact that Zoella had a ghostwriter for her 
first novel, uh, Girl Online. So he asks um, if the two mix well and whether um, social talent have more power than, as he describes, normal celebs um, open to security, uh, scrutiny because of the size of their audience. Maybe Hannah and James, you guys can pick this one up. Do you want to go first? Yeah, so I think, to be honest, with stuff as Zoella in, in the book, as most things when big names, celebrities get involved, it gets blown out proportion completely um and i think especially for youtube talent now no one knows where they're going to be in five years or ten years because their audience are maturing as they are so i think it's for for talent who wants longevity in their careers it's vitally important that they do kind of think at ways to not necessarily move completely into the mainstream but appreciate it um and that's why yeah it is important um to think like that and then not let um negative comments kind of knock you down because as Hannah will say the amount of negative comments they get on youtube videos for very small things is probably feels more personal to them than mainstream press so to speak yeah I, i guess that does make sense i remember when i was on bbc breakfast and i suddenly got a lot more followers on twitter um, from that, but it was an entirely different audience. So it wasn't like um, people my age. It was um, like middle-aged adults getting ready for work in the morning. And But they were all really supportive, but I doubt they've engaged since. So I think the interesting thing with the like online versus traditional media in terms of your audience is that online they will always be more engaged i feel because they're subscribing for you they're following you whereas if you move slightly into the mainstream there will be people who watch that or listen to it or read it not just for you but for whatever that thing might be and so it's it won't be yeah it's kind of part of being you'll turn into like a small fish in a, in a big pond again i guess yeah. um yeah it's about that kind of relationship but I probably haven't seen interactions from those new followers at all since. I just challenge what's mainstream right because mm. the trend is just going so quickly the other way. Mm. Um, can YouTube talent if they want appear on mainstream channels? Well Zoella was on Bake Off last yeah. year of course if they wanted to make that transition what I find is a lot of the talent don't want to in a sense, sell out onto mainstream as it was, typical mainstream, because that's not what they've grown up with. It's not them and their audience don't care so much, right? You've got Ant and Deck for that and you've got others want to, that's part of their career, that's what they are inspired to do. They want to be in long-form content. They want to be in equivalent of, you know, uh, The Only Way is Essex, but a version of that with their friends collaborating on They want to be in film. They want to write books. You know, so Gleam have had, I think Marcus Butler's book was number one last week, right? So they've had six number one bestsellers as a network of YouTubers in the last year. So the power is huge. They will get loads of opportunities and they are getting loads of opportunities, but they're they're in control. You know, this is the beauty of it. Like, honestly, the YouTubers are in control of their own destiny. And, you know, it's a little bit, they can react I thought the whole Zoella thing, I mean, I don't know the detail of it, but it was, it felt like a very traditional media backlash to something they didn't really understand. And I think the difference to Hannah's point, this is real people who, you know, are just normal people who happen to have now a large audience. They didn't set out to have 8.7 million subscribers on YouTube or whatever Zoella has. 
you know, she's what, 23 or something? You know, yeah. just like it, but she's been video blogging since she was 14 before YouTube existed and she used to just save into her PC. It's just what she's always done. So I think that mainstream thing is like, it will be fascinating in, in the years to come. And for the older ones listening, it reminds me of how completely besotted we were, right, by Kylie and Jason in Neighbours. Speak for yourself. Right, we were. <laughs> because we thought that was a real thing as well as Charlene and Scott, right? Yeah. People are growing up where the soap opera is real and there is no behind the scenes. Clearly it's a version of their day, but there's no behind the scenes anymore. Yeah. They're not going to switch back to watching Channel 4 News or Panorama in three years' time, four years' time, having grown up on YouTube, right? So I think it's more fundamental than people get. This is like a cultural shift, in my view. Um, and I could see politics and loads of other things being shaped by the demand of this generation growing up where it's transparent and it's real. If you, you know, pardon the swear, but if you bullshit somebody, it's very obvious, right? We all see it. And a YouTuber has to be genuine and authentic. Mm. That demand in society for everyone to behave that way is increasing and increasing. And it's why, even if you take the US example, the Donald Trump's of the world who, you know, whatever, but he will say, and it'll be, and people will like him for it, I don't care about political correctness yeah. because everything else is so stage managed by comparison. Well, he's playing on that massively at now, the moment. So, yeah. Mad example, but it's that sense of, you know, people want reality yeah. and they want to have people like them represent them. And this is just like a little microcosm of it in the entertainment sector. So yeah. wait till it spreads. For the record, I was more of a Danny Minogue fan on Home and Away. But, <laughs> um, and she started before Kylie. Um, right, final question from our listeners. Janet Morgan, Director of Global Content Strategy and Planning at GSK. Uh, how easy is it to go foul of the law? Um, who wants to take one? And Dom, you're laughing there. Go on, let's go back to you. And then I'm going to come back to Hannah. Cause... So I, I think so much the law, but, you, you know, as I said earlier, you don't want to be the poster child for getting it wrong. Yeah. So err on the side of caution, but just be honest and transparent as a brand. Right. If you're paying somebody to do something, then make it clear. And if you're doing it well, uh, then frankly, it won't come across like an advert or an advertorial because it will just be your brand in the right way being talked about in a way that they would have talked about it anyway, whether you'd paid them to do it or not. And, you know, ultimately, that's the best form of PR, isn't it? You know, when it appears in an article in Sunday Times magazine, it's because the fashion journalists love that dress. Right, and if they didn't, why did they write about it? Hannah, you're nodding, but are you ever worried about what you're filming and how that might, what reaction there might be? Um, every time, <laughs> but not, but not, not necessarily just because of working with a brand on that video. Yeah. Um, but I think even before the ASA caught on and the new like rules and regulations came in, when I did paid for content, I would always say to my viewers like in the first few seconds of the video like oh this video has been sponsored by blah um just now it's more of a formality like there are certain boxes that i have to tick just to make sure that um everything is legal are you, are you having to go and find that out for yourself or james from the talent management side of things are you advising well normally when we're working with brands they're it's interesting since all this has kind of come up, the shift in terms of the brief and, and when we chat, there's quite clear guidelines from them on we want hashtag spawn or whatever involved in it. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's just part of it now. It's yeah. really, it's not an issue for us. I think it's been made more of an issue than it actually is from yeah, our I, side. I was referring more to the legal side of, of following the guidelines. and, and So we've, we've seen the guidelines, but again, it's, 
it's it's all down to communication with the brand yeah. that okay and videos aren't posted without sign off from all parties ultimately so there's certain kind of safety nets before you get to that right. point where okay. you'd be in trouble all right um Coming on to, uh, I want to come back to James um, because at the at the Big Shot, you've recently launched a uh, a, a new um, service or product called Social Cir- uh, Circle, um, which is sort of pitched as a way for brands to engage with social media influencers and talent. Do you want to quickly tell us a little bit about you've that? You've done it much better than I could possibly <laughs> already, Russ. No, chance really, to plug. Uh, fine. Well, uh, effectively, Social Circle was a way for us at the Big Shot to differentiate between paid for social placements and social placements that we generated editorially. And social circles started out as one big massive spreadsheet. And as the spreadsheet got bigger and bigger and bigger, and it started encompassing everybody from the good people at Gleam to the good people at AAA, um, so agents and talent right the way down to Stressed Rach, a wonderful parenting blogger that writes um, and that does wonderful book reviews for us. And it now what it does is this database tiers talent in terms of size of audience. It places talent talent across a number of different verticals and it's kind of a one-stop shop in terms of allowing brands and agencies to brief multiple talents and multiple tiers of talents. And then the other key bit is on the other side is the reporting is it's kind of standardised metrics across everything. So you'll know exactly how the reach has been to how many views to how many tweets. And that's kind of the master plan. Um, I mean, I suppose the the other thing that that says is it talks about the multiple tiers of talent. So I'm not going to put anybody in a category now, but there is a whole world beyond Gleam and the top tier. And that's certainly not been disparaging about Gleam. But there's, yeah, right the way from stressed rage two other verticals you might not ever have heard of. It's all as valuable, that social advocacy. And that's kind of, if you like, the key point for social circles. That's a good point, actually, because one of our one of the goals actually when we set mum's eye view up was we're going to have to use Zoella first and then that will be it probably and then we'll use Tanya and use the top tier but our plan was to actually float new talent now we've got 168,000 subscribers we've got more subscribers than some of the up and coming talent so actually we can give them a platform well, and I'm sure I've seen I think in one of your presentations that I've seen you do Dom you've talked about how your audience quite like discovering new talent actually. Yeah, yeah yeah well that's it so we've got this kind of you know we've got a regular post in every Friday so it's a bit random at the moment. Don't know whether you're going to get a cooking video this week or a health and beauty video, but we can now give other up-and-coming talent that opportunity to reach a bigger audience. And it's an audience that they're now sharing with Anna Saccone Jolly and all the other people who we've rented. So I think there is a model for outside of the big Premier League people, and it goes back to the point that if you're a brand, get to know some talent, watch a load of video content, because if you're not watching it, your customers are. You know, And it's like you've got to get over this quick. You know, go to where your customers already are. Okay. Well, getting getting talking about getting to know your YouTubers. Um, before this uh, interview, I've made sure I watched a few of Hannah's uh, videos. Um, now, this might be a bit of a prudish question coming from a forty-eight-year-old dad with uh, two kids. Um, but some of your videos, like Drunk Advice, uh, do do you think that some of them, and, and this is in general, you know, should there be age ratings or restrictions on them? You know, where do you see the responsibility lying on that? Because um, there is no, uh, they're, they're, they're like like you said earlier, that they're very to the point. Yeah, good, good question. <laughs> um, so the majority of my audience are eighteen to twenty-four year olds. So I've kind of feel like they're they're adults. They're my age. Yeah. Um, but, but, but my argument but, is anyone can watch but it. Exactly. There are younger people who watch it too. Um, the thing about drunk advice 
is that no brand will ever sponsor it, and that's fine. I, I know the rules, but there's three rules, isn't there? <laughs> there are three rules to drunk advice. <laughs> be drunk. If you don't drink, be in the spirit of drunk. See, people who don't drink can still get involved. <laughs> and it, um, it, it's a good point you make, because I have had a few comments from people saying that i glorifying drinking and alcohol. Um, but ultimately, and I'm planning on actually making a proper full video about it and ad addressing drinking responsibly and what that means. So hopefully that will cover anyone's concerns but the series itself is just me and a friend in a safe place in a home just having a few drinks and gossiping and nattering and giving each other advice and even though we say don't follow the advice so sometimes we come out with just beautiful pieces of advice if i say so myself and there's actually you should follow um so i kind of see it as a harmless bit of fun and i think as long as we're we're still the role models in a sense that we're not asking to be but people do see us that way and it's with a friend someone you trust in a safe place and that's that's it it's still very positive the i was just going to add to that you know I'm, some some vloggers got some stick for um filming each other driving in a car and it's like is this responsible right okay let's take top gear right i mean you're driving 50 mile an hour down a country lane doing a commentary to a camera if you watch Graham Norton on a Friday night, they're all sat there drinking buckets of Chardonnay. And that's probably filmed at two in the afternoon in front of an audience. It probably takes two hours to film and it's get cut down to 40 minutes. So it's like there will be a moral outcry, right? And whether it's over Hannah's content or somebody else's content, there will be a backlash in mainstream media and it will be held out as if it's irresponsible and terrible. Anyone could watch Graham Norton on, you know, download TV or if they want to stay up late enough, they can watch it. Anyone can watch Top Gear. So I just think, you know, within reason, it's kind of like just apply some common sense, not you, but, you know, out there, it's like apply some common sense. But there's going to continue to be, while people don't get it, there's going to be this backlash that will come. OK, I, f I feel we could be talking all afternoon on this topic because there is so much to cover off. Um, I, I want to finish off with just a quick thought from uh, each of you on where this space is going and also any tips for brand owners uh, wanting to get involved. James, let's, uh, let's start with you. I'll go with the tip then, which is do your due diligence. So look at who you want to work with. And then also, and again, no disrespect to every, anyone, but not everybody will have the luxury of the budgets that Dom has to work with the top tier. So... Go baby steps. There's a second tier, a third tier, a fourth tier, right the way down. And there's also life beyond YouTube as well in terms of social talent stars that we've barely touched on. Yeah, well, and exactly, I, I realise yeah. it's time constraints. So, so yeah, do, do your due diligence, but also experiment on a smaller scale first to prove the model and then build it up. Okay, James, AAA's yeah. view on that, or your view on that? Yeah, um, I don't think in terms of where it's going to go, I don't think anyone knows. I think there's certainly a lot of them are here for the long run. And in terms of a management point of view, it's where where could it potentially lead to? So again, it's difficult to answer that one, unfortunately. In terms of tips, um, as everyone's been saying, just don't be afraid to get in touch, start a dialogue. Um, a lot of people are open to working with budgets because as much as um, it's about getting paid, it's about exposure for the YouTubers as well. And it's taking them to a next level with their channels so it's very much just be open in what what your goals are from working with youtubers communicate that at the start and yeah just 
go for it really with YouTubers. Excellent. Yeah, I guess mine would be um, YouTuber. YouTube was often the starting point for a lot of these guys, but it's not like the end point. So, you know, we're doing short form content that is a 28 second how to do a smoothie video that will get half a million views on our Facebook page within hours using talent that has a YouTube channel because they can seed it out to their audience. They can do Snapchat and get 100,000 snaps in whatever and all the rest of it. So it's like these guys have a massive following on multiple platforms. And I go back, you know, one of these guys said, you know, we're just scratching the surface. There could be vines, all sorts of good, fun, really interesting stuff. So I think think of these guys as being completely plugged into an audience, authentic around a topic or a passion or whatever it is. And then that, because they're great at content, that can be in multiple places. Don't restrict yourself to thinking it has to be a five minute video on YouTube. Finally, Hannah, you're creating the content. Yeah, mine's a tip actually for the other creators, which is don't be afraid to contact a brand yourself. You can, you know your content the best, so you know exactly what brands you think would fit with your content. So draw up a list, and if you have any kind of ideas for content that would incorporate that brand, just find an email and email them. Excellent. That's a good idea. That's it. Thank you uh, so much uh, to all of you for joining me today. Don Birch of Asda, uh, The Big Shots, James Erskine, James Hancock of AAA, and of course, uh, Hannah Witten, who you can all find on YouTube at uh, youtube.com slash Hannah Witten. That's W-I-T-T-O-N. Don't forget, if you want to get involved in this series of podcasts, uh, you can contact me on Twitter using at Russ Goldsmith. Uh, thanks go to the team here at SNK Studios for hosting and producing uh, this month's show. Thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>